Welcome to Rock Talk, the show where a couple of jabronis get to know the roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, I uh, just watched this movie the other day, and uh, I'm excited to talk about how camels are smarter than horses, uh, and uh, I'm really, I really have strong opinions about that, so I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, and this, this is a really important movie in Dwayne Johnson's mythology, and as such, we have brought in the big gun. So I'd like to welcome to the show our good friend, Connor Weber. Connor, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be on the show. I've been a fan since the first episode, and it, I'm truly humbled to be on the show. Wow, that means a lot. Yeah, Connor, we, we could not be more excited to have you on, uh, and especially for this movie, honestly. Um, but before we get into it, I want let's, to let's learn a little bit about you. Uh, can you just tell everyone you know, kind of what, what you're doing right now, what, what's, what's happening in the life of Connor Weber? Well, as you know, we used to work together. Uh, we had a great time working for uh, city government, and uh, right now I'm going back to school, and uh, my lease just ended on July 31st, so I'm, I have the great pleasure of living on Charlie's couch. Nice. Hey, well, I've slept on that couch. It's a pretty good couch. Uh, it's the best couch. <laughs> and and But to be joining us on Rock Talk, you must have some history with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So uh, in that regard, what what is your favorite rock movie? Oh, my favorite rock movie? That's a really tough question. I'm going to take the easy out, though, and say my favorite movie is The Scorpion King that he's in. But my favorite my favorite rock production is definitely Ballers. And I'm hoping that you guys will do me the honor of coming back on at one point and doing a mini episode for a, a season of The Ballers because that, that show is just fantastic. And I really think we're experiencing peak rock season right now. See, yeah, I mean, Ballers comes up over and over and over. And I think, Jordan, eventually we're going to have to start digging into it. So uh, whether you like it or not, uh, everyone listening is going to have to continue listening to us talk about Ballers. So get ready for that. And there's a lot of episodes, so you'll be with us for a very long time. <laughs> well, we can extend this podcast like by twice its lifespan, <laughs> just talking about ballers. Um, and also, Connor, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was your very first rock experience? When was the first time you were made aware of the icon that is Dwayne Johnson? Oh, I probably saw him uh, on some WWE clips. I didn't watch too much, but uh, I had some friends that were really big fans. That was my first experience thinking, who the heck is this guy? And there's no way he's going to be famous for very long. Uh, I was quite wrong about that. <laughs> and I've since grown up with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And Yeah, it's pretty absurd. Like, we've been talking about The Rock now since, I mean, when he came into the WWE in the late 90s. So it's been like a solid 20 years where he's been in the public conscience. And honestly, you know, wrestler, professional wrestlers, for the most part, don't have that kind of uh, longevity. So it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I'd even say he's a cultural icon, uh, the type that WWE has not seen since Hollywood Hulk Hogan. I really, I don't True. think there's anyone that matches him on that level. Even uh, Hulk Hogan tried to break into movies and it never stuck. You know, he did Mr. Nanny and then he did, what was the one movie? Uh, was no it? Holds Barred. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and and, so, and neither and of those... those movies, and they make the worst rock. They make the Tooth Fairy look like an Oscar-winning, uh, uh, be best picture-winning. <laughs> it's not an exaggeration at all to say that. 
Honestly, so Connor, perhaps the most important question we could ask you, uh, do you find Dwayne Johnson sexy? Is he an attractive, sexual human being? I am not attracted to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm going to go on the record as saying that. But I will say his personality is incredible. So maybe I'm attracted to his personality. Yeah, he's like husband material, I feel like. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. And so with that, that's, that's, I'm glad that we got that out of the way. <laughs> and with that, it's time for our Rock News of the Week. Charlie, what do we got in the news this week? All right, so we have three pieces of rock news and a, a, a last bonus piece of it's tangentially related to The Rock, but uh, it's very exciting nonetheless. Uh, so The Rock announced a new project that he'll be working on, a new movie coming out in a few years. It's going to be called Jungle Cruise, and it's going to be based on a Disney theme park ride. We've seen this before with Pirates of the Caribbean being uh, a good example of how to do a movie based on a theme park ride. Uh, but pretty much all the other examples have been pretty terrible. You know, we have Waterworld, The Haunted Mansion, the Eddie Murphy movie. I never saw that, but that was like really in the middle of when Eddie Murphy decided he wasn't going to be funny anymore. Uh, and then Tomorrowland. <laughs> I didn't even catch this movie, but I do remember seeing trailers for it. It's that movie of George Clooney. It seemed like kind of like a cool, like steampunky type movie but i never saw it yeah and i really don't see this movie going anywhere uh i think it's coming on the heels too soon after jumanji first of all and honestly the rocks you know you look at a good chunk of the rocks movies he's done a lot of jungle themed movies he did the rundown which we just covered uh he did journey to like was the journey Two, which i believe takes place a, a lot of that movie in a jungle the Fast and Furious movies, in part, take place in jungles. And now you have Moana, also to an extent, in a jungle. I think, first of all, he needs to pick a new genre, a new He's location, a, a new man. setting. I'm sick of it. He belongs in nature. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> you know, I, I, eventually I would like to see him completely complete his transformation into Indiana Jones. You know, I know that you are one of the mm. only people out there that likes the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Ooh. Shia LaBeouf kills that right. role. Dude, it, it cannot be denied. He kills that role. <laughs> you know what? That's neither here nor there. I would, I would like to see The Rock become that kind of actor where just his charisma alone can carry a movie. Uh, you know, much like Harrison Ford. You may have seen it earlier this week. It was pretty hyped. The Rock tweet, tweeted about it that he's going to be in a new film. Well, it turns out it was a short film. Uh, basically, it was just an extended commercial for apple and so he said that he was co-starring with siri for this and it's kind of a cool watch you know it's about seven minutes long basically it, it takes you through the rock's day and how siri helps him in his normal life you know it goes it starts out relatively normal and by the end of this little short film he's in space which might be a teaser for fast and furious 10 where they actually go to space, hopefully. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. Um, did you guys, Connor, did you see, like, I thought this was so dumb, actually. Um, first of all, I thought it was a stupid, very obvious marketing Yeah, it definitely seemed like grab. a marketing ploy, so I was a little disappointed by that. Well, and, and that's what critics are saying, so it seems like a stretch for Apple. Apple kind of used to let the features speak for themselves, but this seems like they're reaching for the lowest common denominator. Not that the well, Rock is... Well, do not call The Rock the lowest common denominator here. Sorry, all right, I will hold... <laughs> Sorry, well, but, but they're taking the easy way out. Instead of letting, you know, the apps and the features speak for themselves, uh, maybe Siri hasn't made as much 
of an impact on the market. So uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that, give it a watch. It's, it's kind of fun, but just keep in mind it's a commercial, so don't get your hopes up too much. Uh, the third piece of news, we have uh, Ballers is back and it's bigger than ever. It was announced that it was HBO's highest rated half hour in six years. But it's been seven years since Curb Your Enthusiasm left. They needed another marquee show that they could point to that isn't Game of Thrones or some other hour-long, huge-budget show. I guess Ballers uh, sort of came out of nowhere and became that show. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I know you guys are a little hesitant because we're doing movies right now of Dwayne Johnson, but this show really showcases his ability to, to act in, in a way that the movies of the early 2000s just just aren't quite there. You know, we're watching and really enjoying movies like Scorpion King and The Rundown. Uh, but when we when we tune into Ballers, Dwayne Dwayne does a really good job. The Rock does a great job acting. It's it's a lot of fun to watch the TV shows. I think they just finished this third season. I think you make a, a really good point, Connor. Uh, in that you know when we look at these movies, this watching Ballers would be a really good chance to see the progression in his acting, uh, especially in a dramatic in a dramatic uh, environment, mm-hmm. because a lot of his new movies are still kind of comedy based. So it's kind of you know it's a, it's actually a very strong chance to to see him act seriously uh, at the height of his career. And the fourth piece of news is kind of a bonus, but it was announced today that Vin Diesel and the co-creator of the Fast and the Furious franchise are teaming up to bring us a reboot on TV of Miami Vice. I think that this is the perfect sort of thing. It's ripe for a redo, and I cannot wait for this. Vin Diesel is the perfect person to put together a Miami Vice reboot. I honestly, I cannot think of a better person in Hollywood to do this. And I am so excited and I hope it happens. That is Charlie, thank you so much for our rock news, but I think it's finally time for Daddy to go to work. So the movie that we're taking a look at today is The Scorpion King. It's a 2002 action adventure, and it's basically the spiritual prequel to The Mummy. Uh, with a budget at $60 million, it pretty did pretty well at the box office, uh, raking in over $165 million. Uh, a, a little bit of trivia about this film. The Rock actually held the world record for the highest salary for a first-time leading actor in this movie. Uh, he earned $5.5 million for his efforts. Uh, Vince McMahon, WWE mogul and creator, is an executive producer for this film, uh, which makes more and more sense when uh, we discuss the kind of music and music choices and fight choreography. Uh, and speaking of those music choices, Godsmack, uh, Creed, Nickelback, P.O.D., Rob Zombie – all featured names in this film, uh, we should tell you everything you need to know about the tone. Terrible. Uh, it's, and, like, it's like a time yeah. <laughs> capsule of terrible music. It's And, and it, interestingly, it bounces back and forth between that and these like beautiful orchestral scores. I wouldn't call them beautiful. Uh, so th- They're orchestral. Well, hey, there were, <laughs> there were some beautiful moments. I was, I was buying the vibe, by the way, between the sorceress and... And Dwayne Johnson. I'm all oh, in thought, on, those, oh, yeah. on the romantic chemistry. chemistry. Okay. We'll get there. Uh, and finally, after the first edit of this film, they only had 70 minutes of footage. So they had to piece together a bunch of extra scenes, which, in hindsight, makes a ton of Knowing sense. Knowing this after because... watching the movie, you can see, you, you can pretty much guess where they're like, oh, we had to add in a 15-minute scene here or a 15-minute set piece here. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's this movie has so much bloat to it uh, that it's pretty ridiculous. With that though, I think we need to just get into this movie and start with Act One. I'm gonna do my best to break this down. There Good is luck. a yeah, lot going on. 
<laughs> so try and bear with me. Before the time of the pyramids, there exists a horde from the east who invades the ancient world. This horde is led by a ruthless warrior named Memnon, played by an actor Stephen Brand. By their law, Memnon is the king because he's the greatest warrior around. His many victories, however, come from the help of a sorcerer who's able to predict the outcomes of battles. Because of this, there are only a few free tribes that are left that even would think to oppose him. That brings us to Matthias, one of the last remaining Akkadians, which are basically a group of mercenaries who have been hired by the king of one of the last free tribes to go and kill Memnon and his sorcerer. The Akkadians manage to sneak into Memnon's camp, where they are ambushed. While they're fleeing, Matthias discovers that the sorcerer is actually a sorceress. Her name is Cassandra, and she's played by Kelly Hu, uh, who is actually, you might know her as the voice of uh, one of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle side characters in the animated series. Special, you know, little side note. Matthias is captured. He meets Memnon in the process, who brutally executes his brother right in front of him and steals his prized bow. And he's just about to kill Matthias when Cassandra tells Memnon that the gods wish Matthias to survive the night and to defy them would incur their wrath and cost him a victory. So Memnon instead has Matthias buried up to his neck in the desert to be devoured by fire ants at dawn. However, he manages to escape with the help from a horse thief named Arpid. Oof. <laughs> a lot going on there, a guys. A lot going on. A lot of setup that, as you read that, I did not remember half of the things that you're talking about. While you're reading this, I'm thinking, is this from another movie? Because you just don't get that when you watch this. Yeah, and there's absolutely no discussion of the Scorpion King whatsoever. No. Nope. Which, uh, don't get your hopes up because they're not going to explain that throughout the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert, it's never, the word Scorpion King, I don't think, are really ever not mentioned until the very end, in this but it's, film. It's just like a <laughs> passing reference. Yeah, it's not really a plot point as much as it is a throwaway line. As long as if you haven't seen The Mummy Returns and that one scene with The Rock in it, there's no reason for you to know that this is even a prequel to those movies. And I wondered if they did that on purpose, you know, because this. Yeah, this this pretty much felt like a standalone. Yeah, this movie seemed like it was going to capitalize on The Mummy Returns mm-hmm. and on The Rock. But it was also playing down to, honestly, to uh, middle schoolers who wanted to see the The Rock fight a bunch of people in a movie. Um, and almost see nudity. And we got that. Now, I will say, the the nudity is, the amount of almost nudity in this film is unbelievable. It's almost more distracting than if they would have just shown nudity. Yes, oh, oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's it's, every single scene has the the sorceress, like, barely concealing herself. It's really, it's really outrageous. Um, But I want to talk for a moment about this cold open. When we first meet The Rock, uh, and that's when he pretty, pretty much bursts in onto the scene, uh, so, and we get a pretty good fight. Yeah, fun fight. Right off the bat. Matthias, that's The Rock's character. His brother had been kidnapped. We don't really know by who, but just some bad guys. Uh, you know that because they're like philanderers and dirty and gross. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of dirt dirt pirates. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. But the first time we see him, and it's before you even see his face, he's like dragging this gigantic boulder up a mountain, but there's no weight to this boulder. Like, it's clearly a prop that's like a foam piece, but you just see it like <laughs> bouncing along the side of this terrible-looking volcano set. Yeah, and that's, by the way, that's a running theme in this movie, is props and set work and CGI. that is just horrible. Nothing yeah, just has terrible CGI. 
<laughs> Everything in this movie uh, looks like it was taken from a middle school play. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Uh, the volcano that he climbs up, like, legitimately looks like one that you would make in a, a science class. Like the oh yeah. yeah oh it's paper mache. Yeah. There's no doubt about it that there was a, a lot of paper mache work in this. <laughs> this film. movie cost sixty million dollars fifteen years ago. Where did all that money go? I can tell you where. It's those CGI fire ants. Oh, the oh, billions and billions of fire ants. <laughs> it was so Which, bad. Which hold on that scene. I feel like we need to, we could discuss that entire scene. Yeah, we should definitely um, play the clip where uh, the rocks character is talking to this horse thief as they're buried up to their necks in sand. We never find out why this horse thief. I guess he got can't. He's comedic caught. relief, but yeah, he's basically not that com- funny. Comedic relief, but also sort of magic, right? We'll, we'll, we'll right. play. How does he? Well, we'll play the clip, yeah. oh, and then when we, yeah. when we come back, we can talk about uh, the smoke uh, the causes the fire ants to abandon their homes. You see? All this sooner to feast on our naked heads. <laughs> You think it's funny? It's a little bit funny, yes. You see, I am about to escape while you, on the other hand, are about to die a horrible death for leaving me to die last night. So what are you waiting for? You see that one up there? He's been drinking that yak piss for about an hour now, and sometime very soon... Ah, you see? So besides their conversation, which is like, you know, they actually, I think, had some like comedic chemistry going back and forth. Um, but I don't think The Rock is doing most of the heavy lifting. I think the actor that plays Arpin, actually, I think he's I think he's pretty OK. But uh, we find like The Rock looks away for a second. He looks back. Arpin's out of his hole. He didn't dig himself out. It's just the hole's empty. Yes. Okay. This is never. Explained. This actually freaked me out. I actually thought this was going to be the start of Arpid sort of having powers that was going to be able to help him in this help Matthias in this film or some sort of agility stealth thing that was going to benefit them later. Literally, it's one second. Arpid is like on a cliff, thirty feet away from this hole, yeah. and then minutes later, he uses his mouth as a flamethrower <laughs> to. To kill the ants, Genius. he like blow. He blows fire. What? What is happening? And there. And this isn't to say that there aren't people that use magic in this movie, because there's two people that do. I mean, I guess the the jester. We'll get to him later. The British guy. Uh, this movie takes place five thousand years ago, and apparently there's a British guy. Multiple British guys. Yeah. Um. But we can we can talk about that after the second act. But yeah, Arpin. Like you have this one. Like moment where it would be plausible to say that he's, you know, knows how to control magic, but that's never referenced again. When we get to the sorcerer, uh, the sorceress, uh, she actually uses magic at one point on Dwayne Johnson. So m- magic is in this universe. Why do they sort of hint at it with Arpid but never actually address it? I don't know. We should also, I think, discuss the fact that these like deadly mercenaries accepted twenty rubies. To go overthrow this warrior king, which to me is a pretty weak, a pretty weak reward in the first well, place. Well, not just any rubies; that, they're blood rubies. Okay, that is really important. But 
That's a good That's point. That's beside the fact. So this, so this uh, king of one of the last remaining tribes offers these rubies to the Akkadians to go take down the sorceress. The rock goes, no, I'll do it for free. <laughs> he just turned down <laughs> 20 perfectly good blood rubies. The arrival of the Akkadians to the free camp is so weird because, first of all, uh, their timing is impeccable because the free folk are all saying, how are we going to kill Memnon? And then literally these like four hooded Acadians just shuffle up, deny the money. Mike, Michael Clark he's Duncan th- like throws uh, an arrow at the rock or something. I don't no, even he know. Throws, he like, throws like his spear. <laughs> They're frenemies. The I think they call that a frenemy. It's just, it's baffling. Like we are built. I was, I was believing that these Acadians were going to be truly unstoppable deadly ninja warriors deadly with the blade deadly with their hands uh first of all there's not a scene in this movie where the rock has a sword where he does not lose said sword that's a great point he gets swords knocked out of his hand left and right and then he just has to like Like, use wwe wrestling moves to get out of sticky situation and the other acadians aren't that tactful they're not well they're not one of them gets murdered right away. his brother is in a perilous situation in the first two of three scenes that's true he gets captured well (laughs) can't be that much of a mercenary like he's not that great exactly i am so glad you said it like these guys are obviously not that great (laughs) if they all of them die in the first scene in the first moment that they're tested except dwayne johnson well and that's another thing that we don't really get from the rock in this performance and honestly i don't think he's very good you know you can say this is early on in his career but if i were you know a a, a film producer after seeing this movie i would not see the potential there to keep bringing him on for other movies but one of the motivations in this movie is his the rock's brother gets murdered and they never really talk about it again like the next scene he's cracking (laughs) jokes with the horse thief Right, that's never brought up again. And even at the end of the movie, that's not a, a point of contention. Yeah. Where you killed my brother, this is why I'm killing you. Not even a little bit. <laughs> right, that actually would have been perfect motivation. And in that scene where he literally watches his brother's throat slit, he doesn't even frown. <laughs> I mean, there is not there is not a single grimace. <laughs> he, <laughs> like, what is the deal? His acting is is pretty emotionally bare in The Scorpion King, to say the least. The Rock rides a camel in this movie. Everyone else rides horses. The Rock rides a camel, which is the funniest thing in the world when they get that camel running fast with this 6'4 guy running on the back of it. It's like galloping along. Uh, But The Rock mentions that, and maybe we need to get a veterinarian or some kind of expert in on this, but somebody asked him, when are you going to ditch that dirty camel? He goes, well, (laughs) camels are smarter than horses. (laughs) I love that that's his claim, and he really is all in on camels. But we never see the camel do anything smart. Only one thing that I can think of is it was the anchor for his pulley in that original fight scene, and a horse could have done that. Sure. A horse could have definitely done that. That was not an intelligent thing. Yeah, he used the camel as an anchor to set up like uh, basically a zip line into one of the camps. Mm -hmm. But actually, the the camel screws it all up. By the way, so much... There is so much zip lining in this movie. I love it. Like constant zip that's a, lining. That's a positive like, though. Yeah. Yeah, you get points for <laughs> zip lines. 
And I have to say, in terms of uh, believability, the fact that a camel might be smarter than a horse, I'm in. I'll buy that. That's that's okay. Well, I do get it. Like, they're in the desert the whole time. Like, I get, like, if you're going to use a camel, I get it. Camels are built for the desert. Intelligence doesn't even come into the equation. And with that, though, we could we could honestly do Act 1 for the next 30 minutes, but let's try and break through Act 2, which is honestly uh, just as dense as Act 1. So again, do your best to follow along here. So we pick up with Matthias deciding to finish the mission as as well as avenge his brother. And in doing so, he sneaks into Memnon's stronghold, which is Gamora. Uh, and he manages to enter Memnon's palace with the help of this little boy, a street urchin. In this sequence of events, he briefly meets Memnon's court magician slash jester named Phylos, who hides him and directs him to the courtyard where Memnon is training. There's a brief moment where Matthias has an opportunity to shoot Memnon from the watchtower with his bow, but is forced at the last second to save the street urchin, who has been captured by Memnon's troops instead. Matthias only barely manages to escape Gamora in the ensuing chase, he in 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 and in the chase abducts the sorceress Cassandra along the way, knowing that Memnon's going to come and try and rescue her. So now Cassandra is Matthias's captive essentially, uh, but she tells him that she is in fact a prisoner of Memnon. Meanwhile, Memnon has sent his guards to kill Matthias and retrieve his sorceress. In the ensuing battle, Matthias manages to slay all of them under the cover of both a sandstorm and a mysterious cave. With his dying breaths, Memnon's right-hand man manages to pierce Matthias in the leg with a scorpion-blood-laced arrow, sending him into an immediate downhill spiral and some sort of deadly feverish state. The sorceress, however, is able to use her magic to save his life. Matthias and the sorceress are now ambushed by the rebels. Uh, now they're now under the rule of a guy named Balthazar, played by Michael Clark Duncan. Though Matthias defeats him in a fight... Uh, and is able to earn his grudging respect and sanctuary, the sorceress has a sudden vision of Memnon and his army coming through and slaughtering the entire rebel camp, Matthias included. She informs Matthias, and then issues a prophecy, that when the moonlight reaches Memnon's palace, the king on high will become the invincible scorpion king. And as such, they start heading uh, towards Memnon. So... Connor, what are your thoughts? Initial thoughts. My biggest problem with this movie comes in the second act. Um, if you're a fan of history, don't watch this movie, maybe. Or if you have any respect for continuity, you'll like the fact that Phylos is white with blue eyes and has a British accent. And this takes place at the Dead Sea um, in approximately, what, 5,000 BCE? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> unclear and also should mention that Menanon is also a white guy with blue eyes and a British accent uh, so that just I kind of that. boggles my mind um, and well at least they had accents The Rock <laughs> was just doing his best Maryland impression <laughs> and sounding good like, with that too um, and then they also used a catapult to escape uh, catapults weren't invented for another four, five thousand years after at least. I mean, this is not a couple hundred years. We're, we're talking thousands of years in difference. Um, but I, I can get over that, I guess. Well, that's, I think if, so I think if you're watching the Scorpion King, though. Well, yeah, here's the thing. Think... Okay, so fine, I'll get over that. But now we're finished act two, and it's great that we know that he was stabbed with an arrow, but at no point in this movie did they actually say that that was how he became the Scorpion King. There was no mention of that being a laced arrow being shot into his back. We just know that he was shot in the back. 
no mention whatsoever. That was an action scene. It was really cool to see him pull the arrow out of his back and then shoot it at somebody. Don't get me wrong. I was all for that. But the fact that it was uh, laced with scorpion blood, is there residue on that scorpion blood? Like, is the other guy also technically a scorpion royalty (laughs) prince? I don't know. Because it was never mentioned. And again, Scorpion King is not mentioned throughout the entire movie. So the way that I understood it was that the prophecy that the sorceress had was that whoever was the king by the following night would become the Scorpion King. I totally mm, missed that. I completely missed that. That See, that is how I understood it. And I, I, think, I happen to think that him getting pierced in the leg was an unrelated moment to who becomes the Scorpion King. However, I do think it is a moment where she, the sorceress supposedly loses her powers, as we find out in Act 3. But I'm confused by that because immediately following the moment where she heals him slash loses her powers, she has a a prophecy. She has a vision. So I do believe that there is a little bit of a disconnect. Um, I I happen to think that that entire sequence is mostly to further the love story between the two of them. Yeah. What what do you think about the love story? I actually uh, thought that the love between the, the sorceress and Matthias was the most believable part of this film. Uh, I found The Rock to be tender in his love. Uh, I found The Sorceress to be uh, alluring. And I actually thought that they worked... I think that they had like a nice give and take. There was a nice... Uh, you know, I think that I thought that their banter, though the words were pretty stilted, were, was spoken with a, uh, a kind of sensuality that I, I really dug. Well, I don't it's know. It's kind of funny because, you know, this actress, Kelly Who, uh, she was a... Miss Teen USA for the state, or Miss Teen uh, Hawaii back in the early 90s. So she wasn't really an actress until the late 1990s. And you look at her IMDb page going forward, she's done a lot of voice work and some bit parts, but honestly, this is the biggest role she was ever in on screen. And she did a good job. I don't think, I thought she did a great job. She's definitely not the weakness of this movie. There are, I have much bigger problems with this movie than her. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, I I honestly enjoyed her performance. I actually thought that she was appropriately mysterious. And I also think, again, this is an act three scene, but the entire sequence with the cobras and the barrels or whatever, I thought that she did a good job conveying the fear and additionally the faux confidence that she would have to display in order to put her hand into the bucket without knowing if there was. I actually thought she did a, a, a pretty outstanding job considering the acting around her in this movie. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. I mean, the script didn't help her The out. writing that she had to work with, she did a very good job. Yeah. Uh, they could have given her clothes at any point in this movie. Honestly. Uh, she wore less clothes right. than <laughs> Princess Leia, I think, in Return of the Jedi. But... Well, the first scene that we see her in, she's wearing a ton of clothes. She's got the biggest color of any uh, costume I've yes. ever seen. It extends up <laughs> above her head. It's probably, if you laid it out flat, I don't know, five feet long. Yeah. Oh no. The collar. The collar's massive, um, and that the collar in and of itself is probably more uh, clothing per square inch than she wears the rest of the movie. Right. She used up all of her square inches <laughs> of costume at the beginning of the movie. After that, you know, rules are rules. You know, she's got to either be naked with hair uh, covering her her breasts or uh, in this weird Princess Leia like uh, outfit. Uh, One of the things that I kind of have a beef with is 
the geography mm-hmm. of this movie. It's supposed to take place in the, you know, Egyptian, Palestinian era 5,000 years ago. Like we said before, The Rock's the only one without an accent. Uh, Kelly Hu, she's Asian. Uh, Memnon, straight up white. And the jester, uh, scientist guy, has a British accent. There's also elephants in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, they, they did not stick to any kind of continuity. You're, you're absolutely right. Which would have been um, okay it, if they would have embraced the campiness of it, but everything was so serious. Yeah, it definitely took you out uh, of the film. I also want to talk about this entire sequence of the sandstorm and Matthias being ambushed by Memnon's troops. Uh, first of all, how did he know slash did how did he did he start a sandstorm because he charges into battle fully covered on his face first of all to to shield the sandstorm and then he goes into this mysterious cave full of traps that he somehow knew he knew all the traps the other all the soldiers were getting killed yeah, I, what i'm like what was this Acadians, where was this are Acadians from the desert was that his home yes. had he been there before are they? I have. I've I honestly definitely have mentioned no that idea. Acadians he said, live in the home. desert. But like, is this like a figurative home? Is this your literal home under the ground? Because you knew that place really well. Right when they're traveling after he kidnaps Cassandra, uh, they're traveling, and you see a shot of the rock, and he says, "We're home." And then the shot pans out, and it's just the desert. There's no home there. <laughs> Also, I'm just annoyed, you know, I'm just annoyed that they were able to have this entire sequence of events. Like, it's a single cave in the middle of the vastness of the desert. Like, I, I'm just, like, this threw me off. Home field advantage, this, like, brother. Completely. Bl- That's a good point. That's, That's a good point. About. He sensed that sandstorm coming, and he baited them into coming into the cave. I believe this is the first time in our podcast that we've covered a rock sex scene. Although I guess there really isn't much of a scene; it's just implied, right? Right. Well, they they wake up together, uh, but I think that you're right. This is this is definitely the first time that the rocks, you know, sexuality has really been discussed. I will say, in the Tooth Fairy, he comes very close to having that sequence, but we never seal the deal. There's just sort of this tension between him and I think it's his girlfriend, if I recall correctly. Um, but you're right. In in most of his movies, I think he's portrayed as this uber masculine character who can be a father, um, but not a lover. And this is the first time that we see we see that we happen. See him seal the deal. I'm I'm into it. Like I said, I think I actually I still I still believe that the love storyline in this film was its strongest point. Um, but but we should really get to Act Three, uh, so we can we can wrap up this this film and and talk about some of the craziest stuff that that honestly happens. So the sorceress, she leaves Matthias. She returns to Memnon in order to stall him and possibly kill him. Uh, this is while Matthias, with help from the army of rebels, launches an all-out assault on Memnon's stronghold. He has Balthazar lead a ground assault. Arpid, the horse thief, and the court magician Phylos, they're lighting fire to the stronghold from underground. All the while, Matthias, he goes directly after Memnon. And as Memnon takes his place in the house of Scorpio, to become the Scorpion King, Cassandra kills the guard while Matthias retrieves his bow, pulls an arrow out of his back, and uses it to shoot the exhausted Memnon. Memnon is hit by the arrow, 
and consumed by the flames lit by Arpid and Phylos as he falls to his death. With the battle over and the remnants of Memnon's army bowing before Matthias, they proclaim him the new king, the Scorpion King, as he is now the greatest warrior in the land. In the aftermath, Matthias and Balthazar share a good-natured farewell as the latter returns to his own kingdom. Cassandra tells Matthias that she sees a period of peace and prosperity coming, but she warns him it won't last forever. Sequel alert! Undeterred, Matthias decides that they together will make their own destiny. The end. This is the second week in a row where they've set up a sequel in the third act that they never capitalized on. In the rundown, they strongly hinted, and the same thing happened here. So, uh, come on, let's get sequels going a little bit more. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but The Rock was actually signed on to do The Mummy, or The Mummy, uh, The Scorpion King 2, but that got shelved. And if I'm not sure if our audience knows this, but there are actually four Scorpion King movies. All direct to DVD, right? All direct to DVD. Uh, the most recent one came out in 2015. No, The Rock isn't in any of those. But Randy he's a, Couture is in the third one. I he think. is, he is. Um, but he was initially signed on to do the second one, and maybe he just saw the script and couldn't do it. I don't know what happened there. Maybe he moved on to bigger and better things. Well, we know he did. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's actually surprising. You know, we can sit here and talk about his performance all we want, but this movie made cash. Mm-hmm. This was a very successful film. Um, but if he had done more Scorpion Kings, maybe we wouldn't have gotten The Rundown, which was his next film, uh, and that would be a, a crime against humanity, because that was a fun movie. Um, I want to talk about this final fight scene. It's long. Between Memnon and and Matthias. It is very long. It's it's at least 15 minutes uh, of back and forth. There is zip lining. There is sword fighting. Uh Arrow shooting. What do you guys yeah. think? Like, like this, this was a, I, it was a crazy choreographed scene from start to finish. Well, like we said, this movie was only 70 minutes when they first filmed it. So I, I just saw so much bloat here. Uh, this could have been 10 minutes shorter, but, you know. And I think one of the scenes that they added in Act 2 was the, the scene where The Rock's character comes back to the tribe led by Balthazar and they have their fight. Because, honestly, you could have taken out that entire scene and just had Balthazar return to help him for the final battle. And, you know, it may have landed a little harder, their friendship. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think that they added that. We we saw Memnon earlier in this movie catching arrows that were fired at him. So, answer me this. Why does he not catch, the like, the one when it counts? Because it was fired by the rock? It was too fast. Right. It was too fast. I was okay with that because there was the buildup from the first act where you knew that there was a chance that Memnon could catch it, but ultimately the rock was too strong, and that's why he was the Scorpion King. It was way too but long. But why, why didn't – I mean, literally, I'm, here's my issue with this, is that the only uh, you know fighting power that we are able to see of Memnon is that he's able to catch arrows. It's literally the only advantage that this movie – builds up you know that's possibly why this is the greatest warrior of all time he can literally catch an no, arrow they say, <laughs> flying toward they him they say in the cold open that he is the greatest swordsman that Ooh. their people had ever seen that's a good point. but we never see him really fight with the sword we see him well i i, <laughs> I say a big reason for that is because he so quickly 
dismantles Matthias's sword. Within minutes, he he knocks away the rock's own weapon, uh, upon which they they begin brawling because that's the only way that Dwayne Johnson knows how to fight. Apparently, um, uh, there's also I want to I want to play the clip of right when Matthias enters the scene here. Remember, everyone else, you know. Phylos and Arpit are underground lighting fire. Balthazar is leading a ground charge. Matthias comes in on a zip line, uh, of course, and and utters to me what is truly one of the greatest lines in this movie. So I want to play that. I've come for the woman and your head. Okay, so I I have to say. Well, I I love that. That I've come for the woman and your head is a brilliant, brilliant piece of writing. Not that the rock delivers it with any grace. Right. Um I know but I love the, it. That's the great one liner. That's the start of that you know, that's part of his draw when you go to a movie theater. Uh you when you go to a rock movie, you're expecting those kind of things and it all started with that line. Honestly, it's the best part of this movie. Besides um, Balthazar's character, which I actually really enjoyed him. Yeah, he's a, actually a really interesting character. Uh, we didn't didn't get to cover him as much as we would have wanted, but he's actually probably one of the more fun aspects of this film. But with that, we need to get to our final thoughts. The Rock says we seem to have developed a little pattern here. And that pattern is that every single week you come out here and you run your mouth. All right, so Connor, why don't you start us off here? I need to hear your final thoughts on this film. And also, I want you to rank this out of 1 and 10 blood rubies. How many blood rubies would you give this film? Oh, I would give it a solid 6 blood rubies. Um without the least understanding of how much a blood ruby actually is. Now, <laughs> I will also say that we've spent a lot of time uh, critiquing this movie, but all in all, it's a really fun movie. This movie was a great summer hit, finished uh, first in the box office for the first weekend, I think the second weekend as well. So it, like we said, it did well. You're going to enjoy watching this movie. I sure did. It had everything that I wanted from The Rock, which are huge biceps, uh, subpar one-liners, uh, great hand-to-hand combat and his eyebrows uh, because that is the most underrated body part of The Rock and his acting ability. Um, and you'll get that multiple times throughout this movie. We did get a people's eyebrow. Oh, God, I love it. Um, yeah, I'm happy I watched the movie and I'm going to be watching more Rock movies from now on because uh, because of this. It only goes up from here, I think, besides the tooth theory. I'm not watching tooth So theory. Connor gives it a, a, a big six... Uh, Charlie, what are your what are your thoughts and how many blood rubies? Um, so as as I look to to rate this movie, I have to take it in context. I didn't really enjoy it, but I do I can appreciate it for certain aspects. So I'm going to give it a five point five out of ten blood rubies. And the reason mm. I kind of even give it a little bit of credit is for being only ninety minutes long. You do get six different fight scenes. Granted. You know, they're all kind of the same and a little boring, but, you know, you get what you pay for. This movie is not trying to be anything other than what it is, which is a horrifically inaccurate period piece uh, action movie. Um, so, yeah, 5.5 out of 10. 
not great, but I'm glad we have this movie because it's really what started um, the rock renaissance. I absolutely agree with you. And and my my honest ranking here, my Blood Ruby rating is going to echo both of you. Um, I would actually give it a, a six as well. Um, the thing about this movie, one of the notes we had written down was that this movie felt like it was adapted from a video game. Honestly, I think that's probably a perfect way to describe this film. Uh, it's all fights with a with a with a romantic interest uh, that is very pretty loosely tied together throughout. There's magic that kind of exists, kind of doesn't exist. You know, my my biggest issue here, uh, I thought the film was enjoyable, but only in spurts. I found it fun in every fight sequence, and thankfully there are many. As you mentioned, there are six. But to me, the time between the fight scenes was a real struggle yeah. uh, and hard for me to get through. I found myself looking at my phone, really not paying attention. Maybe that's why I completely missed the whole setup of like whoever won at midnight when the moon shone on them would be the Invincible Scorpion King. Like I missed all of that. Or maybe that just wasn't there. I, I'm not ready to say that yet. <laughs> that's definitely a possibility. <laughs> um, and with that, it's time to get to our final, final part the of the show, and that is, of course, Viagra. our franchise Viagra test. So the way the franchise Viagra test works is it's broken down into three categories. We have hard work, charisma, and physique. So for me, we, we start at hard work, and you know what? For as much as I crapped on this movie earlier, I do think The Rock is trying. You know, at this point in his career, he's absolutely out of his element, leading uh, a big-budget Hollywood blockbuster. You know, his acting isn't great, but, you know, this is the first time he's given it a shot, and the script definitely isn't helping at all. That being said, I think it just barely passes that first tenet of the franchise Viagra test. Next up comes Physique. Uh, I think he looks great. Uh, you know, he's not wearing a shirt half the time. He's super sweaty. This is in his smaller, you know, he's not, you know, a superhuman yet in this part of his career. Um, and we get a kind of a sex scene. So as far as that goes, when you go see a rock movie, you want to see him show off that bod. He does it. So it passes there. Charisma is really where I think I was disappointed the most in this movie. Most, most of the time, that's the first thing that shines through when you see one of these movies. You want to be this guy's friend. He's easygoing, he's smooth, uh, and everybody loves him. In this movie, he's leaden, stiff, and I'm glad somebody took a chance on him after this movie came out. Because uh, if, you put me, if you plot me in 2002 and ask me if the star of The Scorpion King was going to go on to be a, a huge budget movie star, I would have told you you were crazy. So I'm glad somebody took a chance on him after this movie. Would I see a sequel to this movie? If it was made today, I absolutely would. Um, I think he could remake this movie and do a much better job now because he has the skills that he lacked when he lacked back in 2002. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely watch just a straight-up action movie taking place 5,000 years ago. Um, and when we get to the movie Hercules, I have a strong inkling that I'm going to like that movie a lot more. Excellent. So Charlie Guile has The Rock passing the franchise Viagra test but in The Scorpion barely. King. Barely. Barely. Connor, what's your take? I would definitely watch a sequel of this movie. And uh, I have to agree with Charlie, too. Uh, the charisma just simply isn't there from The Rock. And I think that that goes hand in hand with his development of his acting skills that we see throughout the uh, later 2000s. 
Um, so I don't, I don't think I'm about to watch this movie anytime soon, but if, if we're going to get a reboot, I'm all in. So Connor's in on a reboot. Charlie is giving it a, a just pass for the franchise Viagra. Guys, I do not believe that this film passes the franchise Viagra test. And here's why. First, as you've both mentioned, his charisma is completely lacking in this movie. Honestly, I think he's one of the weakest characters. Acting-wise, I think that he is just striking out over and over and over again. Scenes where he needs to show emotion, he doesn't. Scenes where he needs to be upset, nothing. Uh, there's no humor. I, honestly, I think that he he strikes out every single time he's asked to deliver a line, he fails. I think that that goes hand-in-hand hand with hard work. I know this is one of his earliest films. It's, in, in fact, his second. Um, but I would expect more from a the you know WWE workhorse uh, who spends day in and day out in front of thousands of people. Uh, I And I have to say, whereas in the rundown, I got the sense that he was doing a lot of the stunt work himself. In this one, I thought it relied very heavily on a stunt on a stuntman. Uh, very heavily on CGI to assist and aid in his movements and actions. I just didn't see it. To me, this felt a little bit phoned in, uh, and to me, probably an easy cash grab to help build his brand. Physique-wise, I agree with you. He looked great. Uh, the dude's jacked. There's no denying it. He gets plenty of chances to show that off. Uh, he looks great post-coitus uh, in that in that pseudo-sex scene. Um, but you know what, guys? I don't think that cuts it. I do not believe this passes the franchise Viagra test. And with that, we are just about done here at Rock Talk. We have made it through the Scorpion King, guys. I don't know how we did it, but we made it through. That movie is a beast uh, to tackle. But I just want to say, Connor, thank you so much for coming on with us. This has really been a pleasure, bud. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Uh, This was the highlight of my week, maybe of my entire year. Um, I would be honored to come back on the show and take some ridiculously good notes because seeing how prepared you guys are for each one of these episodes is is uh, humbling to say the least. It's hard work, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, when it comes to when we break down episodes of Ballers, we'd love to have you back. I think we should make a date for that for sure. It's a date. Absolutely. Connor, we will have you back. So thank you and thank you, Charlie. And thank you, listeners, for supporting and listening Rock Talk. And until next time, this is Jordan, Charlie, and Connor signing off. See you next time. Can you smell what they're cooking? 